There's only one way back to respectability. I've got to win another Pulitzer Prize. I remember when you came into my life, you modest 9 by 12 certificate. I'm a maniac, maniac on the floor. And I'm dancing like I've never danced before. <laughs> Hello, baby. You know what this is? Your dog tags from the Battle of the Nerds. You're mean. Ew, I don't like that memory at all. But wait, let's look at it again through the magic of self-delusion. I'm a maniac, maniac on the floor. And I'm dancing like I've never danced before. Hello, baby. You know what this is? Your Pulitzer Prize, you luscious lump of a man. Wow, I've got my denial mojo working. Well, back to work. Got to win the Pulitzer Prize. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And who boy. Oh man, I hate this episode so much. I have mixed feelings about it. Because on one hand, oh, it's not good. But on the other hand, there's some really strong character work. Uh-huh. For Henry. Oh, yeah, Henry's great. Yeah, Henry's great in this episode. Everyone else sucks. This is the episode where we complete our 180 on Henry, and I just love Henry now. Henry's great. Henry's my favorite character in this show now. I thought half of the things that happened in this episode happen next episode. I honestly don't know how they're going to stretch out next episode, but we should talk about that when it happens. All right, let's do this. This is episode 22 of season four, Operation Mongoose Part 1. So we are wrapping up book six, Cheaper by the Coven, which... Is down to no people. There's There's, no coven. There's no people in this coven. Coven's gone. To catch you up on what happened, the Dark One was so darn evil that he's uh, finally going to die, but not really the good part of him's going to die. and then His heart is so corrupted that it's not going to keep him alive anymore, and he's going to die from that. Well... The light part of him is going to die, and then he's going to be full-on evil all the time. That one spark of goodness that Bell won't shut up about will go out, and he will become the true evil person he was always meant to be or whatever. Right, like Cole and Charmed. Is that what happened to Cole and Charmed? Well, I, mean, I don't think they kept it consistent from episode to episode what was happening with Cole from Charmed. Okay, speaking of what's happening and keeping it consistent, I kind of want to just throw this out here. Mm-hmm. The last episode ended with the author putting pen to paper, or quill to parchment, mm. and writing once upon a time. Oh, take a shot. That's the name of the show. Ugh. But the way the author powers work... Yes, to remind you, the author got Dark Savior Blood, which he needed to power his magical reality-altering pen, which he's going to use to give the villains happy endings. Right, that's not even what I'm worried about. I'm not even worried about the Dark Savior Blood. Whatever, we're past that. The way the powers work don't make a lot of sense, and there's going to be a lot of conflict in this podcast episode between me trying to make sense of why things are happening the way they are, And me being like, fuck it, 
It's what's happening. Here's why it's awful. Let's go on to the next awful thing. My big thing here is this is a new book. We saw him create a new book. Yeah. Shouldn't that just create a new universe? Because he's going to use this new book to change what happened to the established characters. But we know that different versions of the stories don't really affect each other. Like, in the postscript season, we see Henry interacting with a completely different Cinderella, whose story in no way intersects the Cinderella we saw here. Shouldn't this just be creating a whole new universe? No, no. Because he's rewriting this universe. Okay, so there's a lot of different parallel universes where stuff is happening. But he's specifically writing to change this universe. It's like time travel. When Marty McFly goes back in time and completely alters the time stream. And then at the end of the movie, he's got the truck and the hot girlfriend. Everyone around him has lived a completely different life. He's in a different time stream, but he has his old time stream memories. So he just overrode the Marty in that timeline, killing him. Did he? Time travel doesn't really work either, unless you just kind of go with it. That's why the Splinter Universe thing makes sense. You travel back in time, you just create an alternate timeline, and why this should be its own unique story that right. the author's creating. But even in a Splinter Universe, when you're talking about time travel, your main character is somehow going to stay in their timeline. The timeline that they're in is going to be the prime timeline, even though it should really be a Splinter timeline. See, that's what's happening. Once Upon a Time is the prime story, right? There are other stories, but they're the prime story. And the author is rewriting the prime story so our characters are in that not in another story you know what fuck it it doesn't make sense it's terrible let's move on to the next terrible thing that doesn't make any sense so as we so often do the episode opens with a knight riding through the woods yes but twist this knight is in a cheesy 1960s tv show uh i just want to point out this is almost 1967 we have a very, very specific date for once. Before we were doing this podcast, I didn't worry about things like dates and when the Jazz Age actually happened. But this was one that I looked up when we were first watching it. Yes, this is a TV show, this knight-based TV show, Knights of Valor. Which is supposed to be Paladin? Uh, I don't know enough about 1960s TV. Okay. But it's playing in a TV showroom where the author is trying to sell a TV to a couple who are not really sold on color. Yeah. Yeah. The author's all like, but color is interesting. Don't you want color? He's not doing a great job selling this TV. He's talking about how color creates depth and hue and how it makes stories more well-rounded and the guy's like look just tell me if it's a fucking good tv he's every pretentious amateur literature critic you argue with on twitter and he thinks that he's smarter than you because his stupid lines aren't working on you he's like color is complication and intensity and interest and the guy's like that's nonsense you're spouting nonsense words he asks if it has a remote. 
A clicker. A clicker. The author doesn't know what to do with this. Luckily, his manager swoops in to save him. Oh, see, I didn't think that was his manager. I thought that was just another guy who works the showroom, and they, like, work on commission. I think he's supposed to be his manager. It doesn't matter. This guy's in this one scene, and that's it. But this is important, though, because the author is being associated with the night stories that were on the television, and this new guy is being associated with the space age futuristic clicker he talks about being in the air force because the guy is a military tattoo and they relate on that level the guy's tattoo is on his forearm the same place that robin hood's crest tattoo is maybe that guy is the showroom guy's true love maybe there's this whole other story that's way more interesting than the bullshit this author writes so anyway (laughs) the manager i'm going to say leads the author off for some exposition he's like look you are a terrible salesman. You are leading them right to Gimbals. And I'm like, ha <laughs> Gimbals. Like the... It's like Miracle on 34th Street. But the guy's like, look, you tried to be a writer, but you suck at it. I thought maybe that creative spark that you think you have would have translated to hawking TVs, but apparently it doesn't. Why would it? Get your house in order, bro. Yeah. But, turns out... He doesn't have to get his house in order because there's a letter from Star Publishing and uh, they want him. They want him right now. Yeah, they need to see him immediately. God, this seems like a setup for getting murdered. It's a completely empty office save for one desk in the corner. I I just kept on thinking, God, it seems like he's going to get murdered, though. Yeah, does seem like it. And the person sitting at the desk is the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Hmm. Because as we all know, his job is to fill in plot holes. Yep, and he lays out a bunch of pens on his blotter and tells the guy to pick a pen. It's like a Dalai Lama style test. Yeah. The author doesn't want to pick a pen because he uses a typewriter, which I feel like should disqualify him. I feel like he has told you everything you need to know, which is that he is not interested in the way the author works. He's going to fuck around, write his own stories, and then you're going to have to trap him in a book. Then you're going to get locked in a hat. Just to remind you of what happened last season. So the author ends up picking a pen Does it matter? Do you think it matters which pen he chooses? I don't think it does matter. He picks the pen that's like the old-timey quill pen, but I think, and it shocks him, right? Because the wand chooses the wizard. Mm. But I think any pen he picked up would have shocked him because he is the writer or whatever. Mm. I think that was the real test, not which one he chose. See, I would have picked the cheap ballpoint pen because you never lose those. I've had, like cheap ballpoint pens for years it's fancy expensive pens that either immediately run out of ink or you immediately lose well i definitely wouldn't have chosen a quill because they're a bitch to write with when i was a pretentious high school kid i had a quill that i wrote with and it was a pain in the ass i used to mess around with nibs all the time ah yes which i love the way they look but it's such a pain in the ass to use yeah i I used my quill for about a week and then it just became shelf decoration yeah As it should. So the author makes a joke about how the last time he got a pen, it was for his bar mitzvah. This is what establishes him as the only Jewish character. To my knowledge, we haven't seen the last season yet. And I could be forgetting something, but I super don't love 
that the only Jewish character we get on this show is evil. And not just any kind of evil, but literally uses his evil to control the media evil. Yeah. Cowardly self It feels like they're leaning into some anti-Semitic tropes with it's this guy. It's not a good look once upon a time. I don't love it. But he picks the pen. The pen does the whole Harry Potter shooting magic out of its inkwell thing. And he embraces his destiny as the guy who writes shit down. So the Sorcerer's Apprentice explains the whole author thing. He says the most recent author just died. And we know it's Walt Disney because Walt Disney died in 1966. And we know that he was the last author of apparently and they had in a previous episode they had referred to a prior author named walt the chiron does actually tell us that the time that this happened is the time of walt disney's death so they didn't want to be subtle about that one they wanted to be pretty clear about that one so that means that walt disney is india cohen to isaac I, the author's name is isaac's buffy summers Really, I think Walt Disney is Buffy Summers to Isaac's faith. Oh. See, it works so much better. I mean, it doesn't work because there's Kendra in the middle there, but it works so much better because Buffy's kind of the well-known slayer, the one you think of when you think of somebody who's defining what it is to fight vampires, and Faith is the one who doesn't really follow the rules and gets locked up for it. Hmm. So. Isaac is faith. I would like you to appreciate my India Cohen reference. I do appreciate it. I know about her from uh, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer novels. Ooh. Yeah. I don't have time to do another thing, but I really do want to do a thing on the site where we talk about tie-in novels to various TV shows, because I love tie-in novels. I would like to do that, too. I... I got into tie-in novels around the same time I was I ran out of Buffy and thus was using Charmed as Buffy Methadone. Of course. Which we have discussed many times as how Charmed is generally used. So I read both Charmed tie-in novels and Buffy tie-in novels. I never read any of the Buffy novels. Okay, there's a weird thing with the Buffy novels where they do have their own internal canon. Expanded universe? Yeah. Yeah, I read... All the Star Trek tie-in novels, and and I read a few for other series that I watched. Notably, some Quantum Leap tie-in novels. Anyway, so the author takes his special magic pen, and the Sorcerer's Apprentice creates his magic door thing he uses to jump between worlds. And the author's like, holy shit, magic! And the apprentice is like, yeah, you know it's magic because only people who believe in magic can see it, like August's wooden legs. So so stop trying to be cool, man. Stop trying to be cool like you don't believe in magic because the fact that you see it means you do believe in magic. Now let's go do magic shit. The introduction image, and we haven't talked about the intro image in a while, but the intro image in this episode is a tower whose significance is only revealed in the episode's cliffhanger. Mm. I just think mm. that's interesting. Mm. Okay, so this I have trouble with this episode because it really feels like four or five different episodes well, jammed into one. We got the opening, which seemed to be setting up a flashback that was going to intercut with the episode that was the author's backstory. But that flashback is the only author flashback we get in this episode. Then 
we get another scene that's setting up what's going on with the Charmings and team. And that seems like that's going to be the whole plot for the rest of the episode. But it's only like 15 minutes of the episode. Well, even less. And then the author starts writing and everything they've done is erased. So the scene is kind of pointless. All it's really doing is setting up the plot for people who weren't here last week. Or the last several weeks. I really feel like you could jump into the series finale for like three episodes. From like the last three episodes, you could just jump directly to the season finale and not really have missed anything. Yeah, that's an accurate statement. Yeah, when we started this episode, you were reminding our listeners of how the author got the Dark Savior ink, but that's completely unimportant. That was like one long fetch quest that just dragged out the season. It's not relevant to what we need to happen here. Yeah, we've known basically all of the plot stuff since, what, Emma met Lily in the other world? It was two episodes ago. Yeah, but we didn't even need any of that. Yeah. As soon as the author got out of the book... We could have gone directly into the last episode, basically. We could have gone from the episode where Cruella is killed to this and been done. Like, none of those middle episodes were necessary. Ugh. Anyway, in this scene, Regina is contemplating all of the terrible things the writer might write for her. And Hook is like, it's going to be much worse for me. You wanted to say something about this when we were watching the episode, and you said to wait until we were recording. Okay. So... Hook has this idea that he and Rumple are arch nemesises. Nemeses. Nemeses. But Rumple is Hook's arch nemesis. Hook is someone Rumple doesn't like very much. Like, Rumple does not have the level of antagonism towards Hook that Hook has towards him. Hook is vastly overestimating his importance in Rumple's life. Yeah. Hook ran off with Rumpel's wife, but Rumpel killed the love of Hook's life. There is some inequality in that equation. And Rumpel didn't even seem all that upset about the whole Mila thing. I know. When was the last time we've talked about Mila? Yeah, Hook, you're really, really overestimating how bad your fate is going to be in this world. Rumpel's probably not going to think about you twice. Okay, this is weird because we just watched it. Is Hook even in that world? He is. Are we not going to see it until part two? We are not going to see him until part two. Okay. You know what? Let's just move on to the next stupid thing. So they figure the next logical step, since all of the books in the author slash Sorcerer's Apprentice's mansion are blank. Yes. They're like, okay, so I guess we need to find the guy himself. And in order to do that... We're going to need the Sorcerer's Apprentice because he's the guy who fills in all the plot holes and keeps the plot moving forward, so clearly we need him. Accurate. Last time someone was trapped in the hat, didn't it take the Dark One Dagger to get them out? Wasn't that like... It was a huge thing. Like, Regina had to set up this special sacred circle and they had to do all yeah. this crap to, you know. Yeah, it was a big thing to get people out of the hat before. Yeah, Regina needed the Dark One Dagger. She needed the Dark One Dagger, and then she took the hat to the secret special place in the woods, and she did a whole ceremony. So don't we need, like, three or four more episodes to set up how they're going to get the Sorcerer's Apprentice out of the hat? Nope. Blue's just like, I'm going to wiggle my nose and he'll pop right out. Oh, is that what happens? 
Yeah. Yeah, she she holds the broom and she's like, okay, I've got the broom. Which was something that the apprentice owned, so it's magically connected to him. Sure. And she just poofs him out. Yep. And the sorcerer's apprentice is all like, all right, there's a lot of shit going down. Let me fill you in super fast. Yep. Uh, the author is messing things up by screwing with other people's stories. So we need to put him into the book and, you know, return him to his prison before he can mess up this story and screw over all of your lives. And the Sorcerer's Apprentice is like, now I'm not an anime character, so I can use the same move twice. We're just going to get the picture of the door and we're going to lock him in it again with the key. Which, okay, good, fine. So... Back in Rumpel's shop, which really no one thought to check Rumpel's shop, when Rumpel grabbed the author and teleported away, no one was like, maybe he's at Gold's shop. Eh. But anyway, Rumpel is telling the author that he better hurry his ass up before everyone figures out the obvious, and the author's all, uh, you know, writing takes time, it's not just slamming words onto pages. Also, I've been writing these people for 30 years, trust me, they are too dumb to figure out where we are. So... Now it's time for character development. No, the opposite of character development. Oh, God, I'm so, so, I'm so worked up right now. Okay, so the author's all like, now the heroes are going to have sadness and the villains are going to get a happy ending. All right, everyone, all y'all listening, hang on to that, okay? This is a story where villains get happy endings. Okay, moving on. Then he's all like, what do you want me to do about Neil? Because I can't bring him back to life with magic. Why not? Since when? Well, no, no, that's always been a rule of magic. Magic can't raise the dead. Magic can't make people fall in love. Unless you're Rumpelstiltskin or Zelina or alternate Regina. Wait, wait. You can use magic to raise the dead if the person died from magical causes, but not if they died from natural causes. It's like Buffy rules. And... Okay, so loaning your life force to someone else is a natural cause? Yes. Yes. No, I I am standing by this being bullshit. If he had been shot like Tara, fine. But no, Neil died a mystical death. He should be able to be brought back. Well, what really bothers me is the author says he can only change things that he already wrote. Like, in the past, he can change things that he affected, and, of course, he can change the future. So he can change the past that he already changed when it was the present, and he can change the future, but he can't change the real past. Which means he could, like, write Lily not being thrown into a pit, presumably, since that was a thing he changed. But he couldn't give her a good life in the real world once she was out of his story. Yeah. But... He can overwrite Rumpel's memory. So he can make it so Rumpel doesn't know he had a son and then he won't be sad. And Rumpel's like, mm, no, we're not going to do that. What we're going to do is you're going to change my memory. So my son still died, but he died thinking I was a hero and I know that and I'm at peace with it. No, 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 no. He doesn't want it to change so that Neil died thinking Rumpel was a hero. He wants the author to change Rumpel's memories so that Rumpel believes himself to be a hero, which fundamentally changes who he is. He's not him anymore. We're going to see him, and the whole point when we see him is, oh, look how ironic it is that Rumpel is now brave and bold. Well, then he's not Rumpelstiltskin. 
All we are is a collection of our experiences. If you change someone's experiences in such a fundamental way, they're not them anymore. Theoretically, he went through the same things, though. Yes, but... The, You're uh, changing just the core tenements of his personality, which... Well, he went through the same things, but the author is changing his memories so that when he went through those things, he behaved in a brave manner, right? So I assume what happened is that when the Duke came to conscript Balefire, instead of becoming the Dark One, Rumple went out and got light magic because we see him having light magic, and then he used it to be brave and good and true. And Bill still died in the ogre war. I don't know. Maybe he was eaten by an ogre. We see. We no, no. I mean, we see that Rumple just goes around killing ogres. So that's probably what happened. Mm. He probably remembers that Balefire was killed by an ogre, and now he's like trying to make sure it doesn't happen to anyone else. Okay. He's probably ogre Punisher, right? Yeah, he's ogre Punisher. I was thinking more ogre Batman, but if you want to be all dark and gritty about it. So yeah, Rumple wants his son to see him as a hero in the end, and the elders like, ah. Have fun dying of dysentery at 40. I'm staying in the real world. Which, you know what? I sympathize with. I also would not want to live in a fantasy world. Yeah, who who would? No one does. So, Emma, the Sorcerer's Apprentice, and Regina are power walking to Gold Shop. Yeah, maybe they'll have time to stop what's going to happen this episode from happening. Mm. Meanwhile, the Bee Crew, the Charmings, and Henry, who's awesome. And Hook are on their way back to the loft so that they can grab the book, which... They're all looking for it. Hook finds it by tearing apart Henry's knapsack with his hook. I think it's funny that David and Mary Margaret are just running around like chickens with their heads cut off, but Hook knows that, of course, the book would be in Henry's bag because Henry's the one who has the... Yeah. Um, Like, Henry goes straight to his little alcove. I like how he apparently has his own, like, little nest in the corner of the loft. Yeah, well, I mean... He needs a place to hide when his grandparents are banging. Oh, God. We should have a little bit of disambiguation here when we say the book, because we're about to have another book. Mm. The Once Upon a Time book, as opposed to the book that the author is writing in, which is Heroes and Villains. Heroes and Villains. Blarf. Hate it. Anyway, back in Gold's shop, the author writes... The end, so that we know it is too late, and we cut to commercial. Yep. Sharp cut to Henry waking up on the floor of the loft, with a key in hand. Yet he still has the key from... Releasing the author. It's the author releasing slash trapping key. Although I don't think that the Sorcerer's Apprentice needed that key to trap the author, did he? I don't know. Anyway, Henry wakes up and it's all rapture up in here. Like the leftovers, because everyone is gone. Look, we see Baby Neil's crib. Yeah, that's dark, right? That's fucking dark. So Henry's gone all 28 days later, wandering around the desiccated corpse of Storybrooke. As Henry's walking through town, we see a Tinkerbell whirly gig. A Disney's Tinkerbell whirly gig. I mean, we've already seen that there's other Disney stuff in Storybrooke. So it's not that shocking that there would be a Tinkerbell thing. My question is, what creeper put that in their yard? Do you think the curse did it? I mean, or someone who didn't know Tinkerbell? Okay, if it's someone who didn't know Tinkerbell, that's fine. It's just like, 
I mean, imagine if you lived next door to Kevin Smith in whatever suburb in Red Bank he lives in right now. And you had like a garden gnome of the cartoon Silent Bob from the Clerks cartoon. Like, that would be really creepy, right? I'm sorry. I went straight to, when you said Kevin Smith, I went straight to the guy who played Ares on Xena, whose name was also Kevin Smith. Really? I said Kevin Smith and that's where you went? I'm sorry, it is. I was trying to think of a real person who had a cartoon representation of them. Anyway, back to what's going on on this show. Yeah, Henry's wandering around, and can I just say how awesome Henry is in this episode? You can. He is. Because I know this is just because we need to keep the plot moving forward, and now Henry's the only character left. But Henry is efficient as hell. He goes straight to Mr. Gold's shop. Where a record is playing, which is super creepy because there's no one in this town, but a record is playing on the record player. Also, I just want to say all of the shots of Henry wandering around town are all really well composed. This episode, plot-wise, not so great. Cinematography, pretty amazing. But, uh, Henry steals a car. Hell yeah, he does! Henry steals a car and leaves Storybrooke. Hey, it's a good thing he had those driving lessons with David and Mary Margaret. So he pulls up to what I guess is the next town over. Sure, why not? And he goes to a diner, a diner which advertises the best breakfast in town. Yeah. And the hostess immediately asks him, are you old enough to drive? And, he's and he like, goes, are you? <laughs> that was my deep Henry voice because this this child is clearly an adult right now. I think it was supposed to be flattering, but it comes off kind of insulting. I, I think he was supposed to be trying to schmooze this act, this uh, waitress. Oh, really? I read it as sarcastic. I mean, it did come off as sarcastic. What's funny is he shows pictures of his family, and he's in those photos. And I think we're supposed to think that he still looks the way he looks in those photos, which is like a child. But he's like, have you seen any of these people? I'm looking for them. And he, she- he specifically says, it's my family. I'm looking for my family. And the waitress is like, hmm, I haven't, but why don't you wait here and I'm going to call the cops on you? I mean, not call the cops on you. She calls the cops and she's like, there's a kid in here and I think he's a runaway. Because runaways are typically looking for the responsible adults in their lives. Whatever. This whole sequence doesn't make sense, but it just exists so that Henry can see the revolving rack of books that's in this diner. Mm Mm-hmm. That has a pulp paperback novel written by Isaac Heller, which, okay, did Henry ever find out the author's name? No, he has no reason to pick up that book. But he does, and he flips it around, and he sees the picture of the author on the back. Can I say what a terrible cover that is? I mean, it's not great, No, you know what it is? It is a stock photo you put on a self-published internet book. Internet e-book. Really? It seems like it has the same look as a lot of fantasy novels to me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like... Not a self-published one. Like one put out by like Del Rey. No, I think Del Rey has nicer covers than that. This is like... This is one of those books where you pay them and they screw you over several times over. That is this book. All right. But this incredibly cheap book is apparently popular enough to get him his own convention. It has a, it's a reading. He's doing a reading and it's like at, I don't know. It's in a weird room. Um, 
he's on a he's on a book tour because the sign says heroes and villains tour and he's speaking it like i think it's supposed to be a library and this is the lobby okay that makes sense but it's really nice and it's really big and people came out in costume so you know what i think it's supposed to you know what he's supposed to be jk rowling famous mm. which i'm assuming he wrote into his story because there's no way in hell this book is popular enough to get this kind of fan following. He absolutely wrote it into his story. He says that he wrote himself a happy ending. So he wrote this. Did he write everyone on Earth to have much worse taste in writing? Or? He wrote, and then everyone clapped. And then everyone clapped the Isaac Heller story. <laughs> I, I, I'm saying that J.K. Rowling levels because basically over half of the audience is in costume and I can't imagine anyone other than Harry Potter fans going to a book signing in costume. Yeah, see, that's why I was thinking convention at first. It's not uh, though. It's it's a book. It's clear. It's it's the signage indicates that it is a book tour. So he talks about how you have to follow your own path, and people told him he was gonna he wasn't going to be successful. But then he came up with the brilliant idea to give villains happy endings. Okay, dude, you are living. In a post-wicked world. And you're acting like it's revolutionary to write a book from the point of view of the villain. Fuck, Grendel was written in the 70s. I'm going to one-up you there. This is written in a post-Shrek world. Oh, that's just mean. Yeah, I'm sorry. This is some Shrek-level playing with the narrative. I'm, I'm just saying, this is like... Not revolutionary. I, okay. Well, I'm assuming that was part of what he wrote into. Is that everyone would think it was revolutionary. And not only is what he's saying he's doing not revolutionary. It's not indicative of what's in his book. No, he's talking about how he's like, oh, I'm exploring making things bad for Snow White. But the character in your book is only called Snow White. Her story in no way reflects what the Snow White story is. You know who did what you did really well? Neil Gaiman. In a short, he did it in five pages and he called it Snow Glass and Apples and it's amazing and you suck it. Oh my God, I hate this episode so much. Okay, okay. I, I clearly don't hate it as much as you do, but what he's saying here has no, it, it doesn't reflect what we see in the book. The book isn't about what happens when villains win it's not even really about twisting traditional narratives. I'm like literally going to have to read The Merry Spinster by Daniel Ortberg like five or six times tonight just to deal with what we just saw. It's so upsetting. All right. So he's doing a signing after his speechy speech and he interacts with a really rabid fan who, by the way, guys, I feel like we're being mocked by this particular fan. Yeah, this fan really seems like a pot shot at Regina's enthusiastic fan base. Of which we consider ourselves members. Yeah, I was about to say, the show takes a direct pot shot at us. I'm not really insulted, though. From what I hear, I haven't watched Supernatural since season three. But apparently they have a few episodes that really go at their fan base. Yeah, they do. They do. This this is like mild ribbing. Yeah, she gives him a pin that says, Long Live Regina. And I just thought, how many fans do you think have given Lana Perea that exact button? Oh, yeah. She must have like a million of them. But 
Uh, it's important to point out that this fan is in costume. As... Uh, as this book's portrayal of Regina. Which is Bandit Snow, which is our first indication that this author has no idea what he's doing. And in a meta sense that the writers of this show don't get why Regina is popular. Yeah, it's like, she says, I love Regina, her story is so sad. And when we see what Regina's story is, it's Snow's story. You know who has a tragic backstory? Actual fucking Regina. You know, I, I know I, I said this before when I was ranting, but I might have cut it out because I was ranting prematurely. It's prematurely ranting. But you know what's a good story that tells things from Regina's point of view and makes her the hero? This fucking show! How come the writers can't do it? They already did it! I'm so... Okay, Fuck this, let's move on to the next, uh, not the next stupid thing, the next thing's actually pretty awesome, let's move on. Yeah, so he uh, he signs the girl's book and sends her on her way, and he goes to sign the next thing, and it's the page he was trapped in, because Henry wants some goddamn answers. Yeah, Henry slams the page down and is like, hey, what the fuck, man? You fucking wrote my family out of existence, I am gonna mess your shit up, because Henry is awesome! Yeah, and the author's like, I don't know what you're talking about, and Henry's like... Bullshit. Come with me to the back room or I'm going to kick your teeth in here in front of this entire crowd. I fucking love Henry. Also, he's like, hey, bitch, I have a magic key. I will lock your ass up again. Well, he he brings him into the back room and he's threatening the author and the author's like, "Uh, dude, you're 13. And Henry's like, I'm 17 and I have the power to trap you back in this page. Anyway... The author explains that his family's alive, but they're trapped in the book now. Ha they're ha. trapped. Yeah. Isn't it ironic? Like rain on your wedding day. That's not ironic. That's just mildly inconvenient. Mm. Maybe it's ironic if you used to date Thor. No, that would just be your ex being a dick. <laughs> That's just your ex being a dick, which is actually... Maybe it's ironic if you're marrying Thor, but he lost his powers. Ooh, or if you're marrying Aurora. Yeah. Yeah. During the 80s when she lost her powers. Yeah. Or if Thor and Aurora got married when they lost their powers temporarily. I am a big Thororo fan. Or if they both agreed not to use their powers as part of a truce so that nothing bad would happen at their wedding, and then it just rained naturally and neither of them could use their powers because part of the truce involved them not using their powers. Mm. That's ironic because they forewent their powers in order to stop something from happening and something else happened that could have been prevented by their powers. But anyway, the author has a pen, but it's just a pen now. Which... Yeah, apparently writing yourself a happy ending like ruins your powers. So the author has no powers anymore. Yes, but he used the pen to set himself up with a penthouse and a legion of fans who don't have very good reading comprehension, I guess. I do feel better about the fact that the whole reason he's famous is because he specifically used magic to make people think that his writing was good. Yeah, otherwise I would feel like this show was saying bad things about people who read. Anyway, he- Just watch ABC shows. <laughs> Anyway, the author tells Henry that the book book, the book that will actually, like, the book that actually has the magic in it is the one that he has, which looks like the Once Upon a Time book and has the same terrible pictures, which Henry's little pulp book doesn't have. And Henry grabs the book. Henry tackles the author, takes the book from him, flips to, which was probably not a great choice, the last page, and then jabs the mystical key in it, sucking himself into 
the story. I feel like he had to go to a page where there was a door. Mm. So he oh. flipped towards the last page because there was a, a hut in that page. Anyway, he's in the story now. He's in the story the author wrote. He's in Heroes and Villains now. He's not in Once Upon a Time. Now, as much as I hate this episode and the one that follows, which I don't know if I've made that clear yet. Mm-hmm. I do really adore the way it's inverting the pilot. Henry left the story to go get Emma and remind her that she belonged in the story. Now he's gone into the story to get Regina and remind her that she belongs in the real world. And now that we're in the story, there's going to be many moments where people repeat identical lines from the first season. And I I, I like that. That's cute. See, that's one of the reasons I don't really hate this episode. It's... Got a lot of the things that frustrate me about Once Upon a Time, which is there are the bones of a very good story here. We're just not getting it. That makes it worse. So Henry gets distracted by a sword in the ground, which he picks up, unfortunately distracting him long enough for Isaac to knock his ass out. Uh, Is that foreshadowing for next season? Him picking up the sword? Oh, maybe it is. Guess what, y'all? Next season's gonna be King Arthur! Hmm. So, Henry wakes up tied to a flipped-over cart, and the author is telling him why living inside fairy tales suck. Because there is no indoor plumbing or penicillin. Hmm. Yep. Also, there are things that are constantly trying to kill you. For example, ogres. And Henry sort of pushes that to the side, and he's like, okay, but, like, you created a- this, this is a world without happy endings, right? So, logically, if I got someone their happy ending, that would break the story you created and undo all of this. And the author's like, that's a really big conclusion to jump to. But Henry's got the mission. He's like, I'm not going to be distracted by your ogres or your, oh, Fillory is a pain in the ass talk. I'm just going to find my mom, give her a happy ending, and break your book. Suck it. I am not Quentin Coldwater. I have clarity of purpose. Yes. And the author's like, yeah, well, you're going to be ogre shit, so bye. Yeah, he's like, yeah, I wrote this chapter. And the next thing that happens is ogres come and eat people, and then bells ring and the book's over, and somehow when the book ends, now it's stuck forever. See, this is what I was talking about. Like, what are the rules? How many times has this story replayed itself over and over again? And why this time through are you locked in when the story ends? Yeah. Also, yeah, it's really, it, it's a weird thing. Yeah, so the author just abandons Henry to be, you know, eaten by ogres. And but- I guess he'll be able to... We have a, the important thing we get out of this is we have a way to make, well, we have a mission. The mission being Henry needs to get one person their happy ending in order to break this spell and restore the world to the way it was. And he has a time limit before the bells toll at the end of the day, I guess. Or Yeah, at the end of the chapter is what the author tells him. So... We have the time limit and we have the mission, so we won't worry about the fact that it doesn't really make a lot of sense with how the powers work. We'll just move on to the next stupid thing. And in this case, the stupid thing is... Well, the ogre attack is what happens next. The next stupid thing is the white knight riding up on his white horse and using white magic to kill the ogre. And then, oh my god, you guys! It turns out the white knight... 
It's Rumple fucking Stiltskin. Yep. Even Henry doesn't have time for this shit. He's like, okay. Okay. I love how he's just kind of like, okay, sure, whatever. He sees that it's Rumple Stiltskin using light magic and he's like, don't have time for this. Henry is on my side here. He's like, all right, whatever. On to the next stupid thing. Oh, and of course, Rumple tells him that heroism, good deeds have no price. Yeah. Because it's the opposite, y'all. Yep. Magic doesn't come at a cost, blah, blah, blah. I like how he, he doesn't question the fact that this village apparently had some kid tied out in front for the ogres. Uh, he's just like, a good deed is its own reward. Goodbye, boy. Don't get tied up by these villagers I'm leaving you with. Well, I mean, it's 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 ogre war time. People probably do all sorts of fucked up shit trying to save themselves from the ogres. So we get a kind of fun inversion here because Henry is using the copy of the book the author wrote, Heroes and Villains, to find his mom, uh, Regina in this case. Yes. And... The bits we get of this are the author is painstakingly describing every trap Regina has set up outside of her bandit lair. Which, okay, I mean, I guess you could write that well. This It doesn't matter. He doesn't have to write it well. He wrote himself that everybody likes it. He finds the magical log that Regina is living in because apparently she's a smurf. Yep, she lives in a hollowed out log. Or, uh, not a smurf. Hobbit? I was going to say uh, one of those jockeys from that jockey episode of The Simpsons everyone hates where it turns out that they're cannibal elves. What? Oh. Is that later Simpsons? Yeah. Saddle Sore Galactica. Nope. 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 Yeah. You know what I'm going to say? Once upon a time there was a hobbit who lived in a hole in the ground. I'm going to go there instead. Regina doesn't live in a hole in the ground though. She lives in a tree. Anyway, she... Like a cookie baking elf. Anyway, she finds Henry, and Henry says, his first lines from the entire show, my name is Henry, and I'm your son. So, the author goes back to the village, and he's like, please be dead, please be dead, please be dead. And then he's like, oh, right, I wrote that the ogre slayer came and saved the kid. I'm dumb. Okay, the fact that the author's like, oh, why didn't I remember that? I wrote it, doesn't make it okay that the show has the author not remember what he wrote when it was so important that he remember. Remember when Emma stole all those old-timey clothes when she had her adventures in time so no one would realize that she was from a different place? Yeah. No one gives a shit about how the author or Henry is dressed here. Okay, I have to say, maybe it's because I'm from Portland? Mm-hmm. But I think there's a lot more leeway with how much people will accept about how you're dressed. Yeah, probably. I mean, he's wearing pants and some sort of coat. The coat is short, the pants are made out of a weird material, and very finely tailored, but I don't really think he would draw a lot of looks. So Emma could have just kept her bra and not caused an entire, uh, time kerfluffle? Perhaps, but then she would not have learned how comfortable a corset is. It lifts up your spine. With whalebone. Or, I guess, probably dragon bone, if you're in a fairy tale land. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what whalebone is? Way sturdier than the plastic shit that they put in bras. I'm just saying, corsets are not a bad thing. Uh, Elizabeth Swan would disagree with you. That's because her stays were too tight. Anyway, Henry fills in Regina and she doesn't believe him, but he shows her the book. 
and she's like, yeah, this seems like some magic stuff I don't want to get messed up with because, you know, magic is awful. Yeah, she's like, this book knows what my plan was. I do not like that. I'm going to throw the most flammable book ever into this fire, I guess. Yeah, she throws the book into the fire, and I guess it's one of those kerosene books you've been hearing about because it goes up quickly. Henry just has enough time to tear a few pages out of it. Hmm. I wonder if anything relevant will be written on those few pages. No, I really do. I don't remember. Yeah, I also don't remember. I'm assuming yes. So Henry's like, hey, look, your true love is Robin Hood, and you need to, like, tongue him so this curse will break and you can go back to being my mom. And Because true love's kiss, right? True love's kiss is back to being a cure-all. Yeah. And Regina says, hey, if I see Robin Hood, the only thing he's getting is my fist in his face because he's my main competition as a bandit in this neck of the woods. Which is weird. I didn't know bandits competed. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I have a really hard time imagining Robin Hood is good enough at his job to be competition for Regina. Well, he has a he cheats. He has a whole bunch of merry men. Mm. And a magic bow that always hits its target. Yeah, this is Regina being bandit snow, which This is Regina rejecting the call to adventure, which is the next stage in the hero's journey. Regina will follow the hero's journey very, very closely because the writer is a hack and lacks the ability to deviate from the hero's journey in any interesting way. The thing about this is, we haven't liked Mary Margaret for a very, 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 very long time. Do you think that's going to change this episode? No. But the last time we did like Mary Margaret... It was when she was the bandit queen in season one. Yes, and Regina is definitely playing on some of those bandit queen tropes right now. I mean, that's what she's doing because the author apparently thinks that the way to study a villain is to just flip the names. Yeah, that's literally all he did was change the names from, you know, Regina literally just has Mary Margaret's backstory now. Mary Margaret just has Regina's backstory. Right? Like, let me tell you a story. Once upon a time, there was a woman named Lady Tremaine, and her father died, and her evil stepmother named Cinderella made her work hard all day. Like, that's not that's not exploring the villain's motivations. Oh my god, I hate him so much. And then I, like, published it, and I'm like, yeah, I'm really deconstructing what it means to be Cinderella. Fuck you, guy! Ah. Oh! Anyway, on to the next stupid thing. The author gets caught in one of Charming's net traps. In fact, the net trap we saw him use to capture Bandit Snow in season one. Except this time, he got captured by the dwarves, who are the Queen's Guard, as per usual, except they're in Regina's Black Guard uniform. Minus the stupid hats. Minus the stupid hats, although there are Black Guards later who are wearing the stupid hats. The dwarves are referred to as the Black Guard, and I just have to say, one thing I do like, in fairness to this episode, is that they're all wearing, uh, you know, black helmets, except for Dopey, who is still wearing his purple knit cap. God, I love Dopey. They're gonna bring him to the Queen, because he says he has information about Regina. And they find the Long Live Regina pin that the fan gave him in his bag, and they're like, oh, he's a fucking traitor. And... And 
And then, and then, even in this terrible, terrible story, Grumpy somehow manages to shine. By saying, Hi-ho, boys. It's off to work we go. Uh, okay. 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 Did you see, I know you shouldn't have, there's no good reason to, the Neil Patrick Harris Murph movie. No, no, I did not. So there's a point in the Neil Patrick Harris Smurf movie where the Smurfs are all getting ready to attack Gargamel. 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 And they are doing a sinister war chant version of la 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 la. And it is the dumbest thing that has ever been filmed. That sounds pretty awesome. I'll be honest with you. I love when people do sinister versions of cheerful songs. But you can't do that. You can't do that sinisterly. You can't have a sinister song that has la 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 as part of it. La 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 la. But it's done by Smurfs and Smurf voices. It's just they're trying to sound sinister. And one of them's Katy Perry. So now we're going to cut to the Evil Queen's palace. Mm. Yeah. You know what? Remember how hard it was for Regina to be believable as an ingenue? Mm-hmm. You know what's way, way, way worse than that? Mary Margaret trying to act like an evil badass. I mean, bitch, we've seen Regina do this shtick. You're not fooling anyone. Oh my god, it's so bad. It's so... And the thing is, as we will see later in this show, very... Not even later. As we will see very, very soon in this show, there are actors who really... Who have thrown in the towel in the show, but who really get the chance to shine when they're being evil. Being a villain from an acting perspective, is fun. You get to be hammy. You get to rattle the rafters. Like, being a villain means that you can do stuff that would be dumb. It means you... Yeah, you know, it's funny. I couldn't put my finger on why she's so bad at it. But it is. It's because she's not fully committing to the terrible evil lines they give her in the way Lana Priya does. Yeah, or... She lacks commitment. And the thing is, you can play a villain a lot of different ways and have it work. You can be the big, boisterous villain. You can play it smooth and calm. And as we'll see with a certain character, you can be really, really restrained and have it come off well. But the thing is, she's not doing any of those things. She's not pushing it to any boundary. She's staying in this weird middle zone where it's tepid. Yeah. Snow White as the Evil Queen is bad. Also, her hair reminds me of, uh... There's something about Mary? <laughs> oh my god, I didn't think about that, but yes. Because they want to give her the high ponytail, but she's not wear, But she's not willing to wear a wig, so they're just spiking up her hair as much as they can, which means they're just giving her that weird little top thing. Anyway, she threatens to commit mayhem and slice off various bits of the author. She's like... But the author tells her that Regina has a plan to change everything and he's on her side because he wants to keep this world the way it is. Not just Regina, but a certain boy who's there. Hmm. In this story, I mean, spoilers for the end of the episode, but Emma exists. Hmm. In this story, is Emma Snow's daughter? 
How did all this work? Yeah, Henry still exists. And Emma still exists. I, but the, no, au- the we, author tells Henry that the reason he didn't get written into the story is because he's not from a magical world. But he's still Emma's son, so where did he come from if Emma did get written into the story? And it's all so dumb. Let's move on to the next dumb thing, which is Snow shouting into a heart that she keeps in her pocket for David to come into the room. And he's all like, no need to shout, bitch. I will always find you. God, this show. Even things that should be amazing and hilarious are dumb. He's completely under Snow White's control here, we're to give we're given to understand. Like he wouldn't be a bad person if Snow didn't have his heart, I think. Yeah, because the one that she really loved was his brother James, as is explained to us by the author, so that they know that he knows things. Yes, James really understood her. He... Because they were evil together. But then he died because Regina told a secret because literally their backstories are just... Swapped. Yeah. Which doesn't make any sense because how could they have developed that kindly sister rapport if the theory is that Snow White was evil from the beginning, which it is because that's why she fell in love with James. Also, apparently Regina told a secret as a child, so is Regina younger than Snow in this universe? Or Yeah, Regina has to be younger than Snow in this universe. And also, who cares if James got killed? He's fucking evil! Yeah, yeah, and you're evil. You were apparently evil when you got together. And that's why you have the doppelganger, so it's not like you're missing out on any of that sweet James loving. Like, I don't have any sympathy for Snow the way I do for Regina, because you your true love wasn't betrayed to your mother and killed, you're... Or maybe she... Or maybe, maybe he was, but... Maybe Cora's her mother in this story. No, Cora's not. Cora is still Zelina's mother, except Cora abandoned Regina instead of Zelina, and so Zelina doesn't actually have any jealousy issues, which, by the way, how is she even Zelina then? It's like her defining feature. So is Ava just evil here? I mean, she is. She's evil in the other universe. But you know what I mean? Like, evil in an evil way and not in a, like... Passive-aggressive way? Well, I was gonna say, in a landed aristocracy, they're all evil because people are suffering and they're living high. But, yeah. Anyway, on to the next stupid thing. Yeah, so the author sends uh, Evil Snow and Evil David and their black guards, which, hey, it's the return of these stupid, uh, weird, twisty-top helmets. Well, yeah, the, the guards who aren't dwarves have to wear the stupid helmets. They're all going to find Regina and Henry and kill them both. Well, and the dwarves have, like, a loyalty to Snow White here, but... Why? What kind of backstory is there here, right? Did Snow White at some point have to flee the castle and hide out with the dwarves, thus cementing their friendship? Does she have their hearts? What is even happening? These are all things that would be really interesting to flesh out if there if there was anyone on the... St- oh my... I'm so... Uh. Let's keep moving. So, Regina was planning on robbing the stagecoach. Which is the tax carriage, right? So it's got all the money. Yeah. So she... Dennis the Menaces, the guy driving the carriage, I guess, off his horse, which should have killed him, but eh. It's once upon a time, he's fine. But oh shit, Mary Margaret was in the carriage because the author told her that this robbery was coming and now she's going to kill Regina in revenge for Regina telling a secret and killing James. She's trying to pull off Regina's clothes and she's just so, so not. 
The thing is, you could do a good evil look on Mary Margaret, but that would involve not dressing her like Regina. Because it turns out different people have different body types and different face types, and you need to dress them differently to flatter those different body and face types. Yeah, but they're just not interested in doing anything interesting in this show. See, clothes are like roles. You can't just jam people into them willy-nilly without paying attention to why. Yes. So she's going to rip out Regina's heart, but David's like, wait, shouldn't you just ask her questions first? Why? Rip out the heart and then ask her questions and you know she can't lie to you. But no one in the show ever seems to do that, so. Does no one in the show know how heart ripping works? We get a generic Evil Queen Snow White scene, but oh no, the roles are reversed. And now it's Regina who's telling Snow that just because she lost one happy ending doesn't mean she needs to take away everyone else's. And why would that, why would the Regina fan be a Regina fan of this Regina? Although she is still better than Snow. Well, why would anyone be a fan of these books? They look terrible. Air, like Snow's about to fireball off Regina's face. But then Robin Hood arrows her glove to the carriage. Yeah, because he's got the bow that never misses, remember? Yeah, and Regina hops on his horse and the two of them have a I don't really like you, but I do like you conversation. Yeah, yeah they get they get a meet cute. They get basically David and Mary Margaret's meet cute. I hate the meet cutes where the guy is proving himself to be useful and then he's giving the woman a hard time for not being able to admit that he's useful because he's completely not understanding the context of a woman having to work twice as hard to be seen as half as good. So you cannot give an inch because it's just going to end up where the story only talks about Robin Hood if she gives even a centimeter to this guy. And he's all like, you could say thank you. Saved your life. It's like, fuck you. She didn't ask you to. She had it under control. I mean, she didn't, but... Whose side are you on? I'm on nobody's side because this is dumb. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, Robin's like, hey, you're usually a lot less incompetent than that, and I'm getting married, so do you want to take over my merry men? And she's like, not really. I'm more of a solo artist when it comes to highway menning. Which is highway a- personing, I suppose. Banditing. Banditry. Which is a shame because she could totally take over the merry men. And hook up with Mulan. And hook up with Mulan and and turn the Merry Men into a bunch of, like, badass bandit women. Oh my god. That would be a great book. Robin Hood talks about who he's going to marry. And he says a whole bunch of flowery garbage about eye sparkles and, I don't know, breast dew. And it turns out that the woman he's going to marry is Zelina. (gasps) Shocker. This is Zelina with a completely different backstory, right? Yeah, this is a Zelina who wasn't abandoned by Korra, I assume. A Korra who presumably wasn't evil. And she keeps smiling and cocking her head like she's posing for her high school senior portrait. It's really unsettling. Also, she specifically invites Regina to come to the wedding so that we see that she's super not jealous. Actually, I'm pretty sure she still has memories of the old world and she's rubbing it into Regina's face. Right, because part of the deal was that the author would write a happy ending for her. So I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually kind of depressing if you think about it. That her happy ending is literally just screwing over Regina and not having any actual goals of her own. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty sad. Like, her happy ending is just screwing Regina's true love. Not 
And that guy's Robin Hood. Someone who she, you know, actively doesn't really care about. But Regina's like, you know what? We're just going to part on professional terms because I really don't want to go through with any of this. This is all just terrible. Goodbye forever. Yeah, Regina's like, I'm not going to watch you marry this woman. So, you know, on to the next terrible thing. So as she leaves the bar, she's confronted by Henry, who cannot go into a bar because he is under 21, even in medieval fairy tale land. And he's all like, did you bone Robin Hood? Why are we still here? And she's like, shut up, Tinkerbell. I mean, boy, I just met. She's like, you know what sucks? Hope. See, look, he's going to make out with that person I've never seen before. And Henry's like, oh, shit. That's Selena. She's your sister. And Regina's like, I don't have a sister. I was abandoned as a child. And he's Which like, is... Which is why you don't know if you have a sister. Yeah. Yeah, apparently this is Alina's happy ending, and... And Henry realizes that the bells that are going to toll at the end of the day are the wedding bells. So once those wedding bells toll, they, like, toll for fucking me. Yeah. And Regina's like, look, I don't feel anything for this guy. And Henry's like, ah, you see, I have a superpower. I can tell when someone's lying, and you are you are a liar. Lying liar, liar pants. And since this episode is kind of an inverse of season one, Henry's superpower is real and works all the time. Yeah. She's like, why don't you go find your real mom and have her save the day? You said you had to go find your other one. And he's like, okay, fine. But do you know the savior? My other mom was the savior. Super powerful sorceress, light magic, blah, blah, blah. And then Regina drops some really handy exposition on us. She's like... Oh, yeah, like, I think I heard about a savior lady who, like, had really powerful light magic, but I guess it wasn't that powerful, because... Snow White locked her up. Yeah, so... Powerful! Mm. Yeah, maybe, give or take. But, yeah, she's on an island, a island fortress in the middle of nowhere. Locked in a tower. And then we cut to her in the tower... She's flipping out at the camera. Well, she's been locked up there for 28 years. She's losing her mind. And she's she's struggling against her chains, which means she's been struggling for like 28 years without stopping. Presumably less because Snow locked her up. She was going around the country apparently talking about how she was the savior. So presumably this is a recent development. I don't Recent-ish. Know. But yeah, that was this episode. As you could tell, we were mixed on it. I had feelings. I too had feelings. I There were things I really liked about this, but it does really feel like a wasted premise. What did you really like about it? The premise? Yes, I really like the premise. I really like how proactive Henry's getting. Oh, Henry's great. And the bad thing is they're going to start pushing him... He only really gets to shine in finales now because otherwise he is too competent of a character. They have to push him back. Well, he has so many powers right now. He's the true believer. You know what's weird? I have a lot of feelings about this episode and this isn't even close to our longest recording. Mm. Also, as far as segments go, there was nothing in here that was taken directly from a Disney movie because this episode was Once Upon a Time's own mythology, something which they are terrible at Mm. and also i'm boycotting talking about fashion because they put mary margaret in regina's dresses like they thought she could pull them off and she could not nope 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 i'm pitching 
a separate segment for this episode, though. Oh, do tell. Uh, this episode I'm going to be calling Monday Morning Quarterback. Well, isn't that just what we used to do? What this show should be instead? Yeah. It's the return of what this show should be instead. And for this segment, each of us, we're each going to give a brief... Heroes and villains rundown? Yes. What we thought heroes and villains should be. Okay, you go first. Okay. My take on heroes and villains would have been going more along the lines of traditional, of the traditional Once Upon a Time story. Regina is child married to Snow's father. But again, just play with the morality here. Snow is an evil child. Snow doesn't like the idea that her mother is being replaced. So Snow tries to find ways to destroy Regina, specifically by finding out about her fiancé and telling Cora about it. Snow is this very low-key manipulative person who actually uses secrets to destroy people. She is what Regina thought she was. And she rules the kingdom not through mystical power, but through blackmail, through intrigue. Okay. She is what Regina always thought she was. Okay, I really like that. That's much closer to Once Upon a Time than what I would do. And I think mine goes more back to the Snow White story than mm. the Once Upon a Time story. In, in my version, Snow White and Regina actually were close. Sister close, you know? There is no Daniel in my version. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Regina is child married to... Leopold. To Leopold. And he is a terrible husband and a worse ruler. And then when he dies, Regina kind of relegates Snow to, you know, off to the side. She sends her to, like, a boarding school. She sends her away to another kingdom to foster with another royal family where she's going to marry, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's where she befriends the seven dwarves, by the way. And Regina tries to bring, like, a more egalitarian rule to the country. And Snow comes back feeling like her kingdom has been stolen from her, brings the dwarves with her, overthrows Regina, and then tries to kind of reinstitute the kind of rule her father had because that's how she was raised, whereas Regina, coming from uh, being of the people, was trying to create a more democratic society, and now she's gathered the people and is leading a revolution against Snow. But they're both, like, coming from places of trying to rule the kingdom. It's just that they're coming from different political philosophies of what that means. That's interesting. We both had kind of different aspects to it. But yeah, I think that'll about do it for this week. Come in uh, next week for part two. Yay! Welcome to Storybook is partially listener supported. If you would like to be one of those supporters, you can head over to our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com and click on the Patreon link. We would like to thank our $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support our podcast in other ways, you could always uh, rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash I Love Television Zines. You can also contact us at I Love TV Zines on Twitter or by emailing us at I Love Television Zines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybook. Hey,